We are on part three of this series that we are calling The Shadow King. We're talking about the life of David. And uh, I guess I want to ask you to be honest. Don't, I don't expect you to answer out loud, all right? It'd be kind of weird, maybe a little awkward for you if you answered this out loud. Uh, but I do want you to answer internally, at least honestly. Have you ever done something nice for someone only to have that act of kindness blow up in your face? Ever happened to you? Maybe at that, at that time you wonder, why did I even bother? Right? Maybe that thought popped into your head like, yeah, I did something nice and see where it got me. No good deed goes unpunished, right? Something along those lines. I wonder if you've ever felt wronged by someone or uh, you were offended and you're like, I, I want to teach this person a lesson. And maybe you did. Maybe you retaliated. And uh, you gave them back just as much as they gave you, or you found some kind of passive-aggressive way to deal with it. I wonder if you've ever felt like maybe you, you deserved better treatment than you got. And in that moment, you were upset, you were hurt, you were angry, and maybe you even overreacted. Maybe you responded with some serious passive-aggressive kind of comment. Or maybe you just came in way too hot. Like, there's no doubt that you're upset. Uh, you made it known. If you can relate to any of those experiences in life, I want you to know that the story from the life of David that we're going to look at today is something that you're going to be able to connect to. You're going to relate to. You know, last week we saw from the life of David uh, when he was wronged by Saul, right? Remember Saul threw two spears at him, tried to kill him, and he had to be on the run, and he's a fugitive, hiding in caves, and, and, uh, and David had the opportunity to kill him. And in that moment, David got it right. He didn't retaliate. He didn't get revenge. He didn't let that grudge kind of build up inside him, and uh, he, he didn't lose his temper. He got it right. This morning, what we're going to see, one chapter later, we're going to see David got it really, really wrong. He let a moment of frustration, we're going to look at the story today, he, got, he let this moment of frustration move his heart into a pretty dark place. A dark place of wanting revenge and, and wanting to retaliate against someone who hurt him, against someone who he felt like wronged him. And maybe you can relate to that feeling of, uh, I was unjustly treated, how dare you? Maybe you have at times in your life felt offended and you're like, I'm going to put this person in their place. You'll be able to relate to this story. But there's something else about David's life that you might be able to relate to. So we're going to run two tracks today. One is that track where we're going to see what happened in David's life where he got it wrong and he reacted the wrong way and responded the wrong way. And, and okay, I, I've done that. There's something else about David's life that you might be able to relate to, and it's this. It's inconsistency. As we near the end of this series, what we're going to find out is David was pretty inconsistent when it came to getting it right versus getting it wrong. Sometimes he got it right. But oftentimes he made the wrong choices, and he was pretty inconsistent in his life, kind of all over the place. 
He was the guy that killed Goliath. That was a good thing. Uh, he was the guy that spared the life of Saul. That's, that's pretty amazing. He wrote some beautiful songs about God. We have them recorded for us in the book of Psalms. But he's also the guy who lied to a priest when he was on the run. He told him that he was on a special mission from Saul. It was a lie. He was the guy who had an affair with a married woman. And then when he got caught, uh, he wound up uh, orchestrating that husband's death. That's pretty terrible. He was a polygamist. He was a terrible father. There's a lot of inconsistency in, in David's life. And, and if you're being honest, maybe that's something you can relate to. Maybe there are times in your life where you've got these good intentions and you don't follow through. You know what you should do, but you didn't do it. You know what you should not do, and you did it anyway. Sometimes you wish, I, I just wish I was more consistent in my faith. I wish I was more consistent in doing the right thing. So if you can relate to either one of those things this morning, I think the sermon's going to be really, really helpful. So I'm going to ask if you would jump back into David's story with me in 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're going to go through this entire chapter. I'm not going to read every word of it. I'm going to give you some highlights. We're going to jump in with some specific verses that we need to spend a little bit more time with. But as you go to 1 Samuel chapter 25, we meet a man at the beginning of this chapter named Nabal. Now, Nabal was really wealthy. He was, uh, he was a sheep farmer, sheep herder, had a big sheep farm, a uh, really wealthy guy. But he's described in the story, he's described as surly, crude, and mean. That's how he's described. He's married to a woman named Abigail, and she's described early on in the chapter as beautiful and intelligent. The setting that, we've, that we meet Nabal and Abigail in is uh, David, as you know, has been on the run as a fugitive from Saul. Saul's out trying to kill him. And uh, last week we saw that, uh, that David was in this desert, in this wilderness setting. While he was there, while he was in this desert of Maon, uh, in, in this wilderness-type setting, uh, Nabal, this sheep farmer, had some sheep in that area, a lot of them, and it was time for them to be sheared. In a farming community like ours, you probably at least understand, uh, even though if you don't uh, have a lot, of, we don't have a lot of sheep farms around here, but you probably understand that at sheep shearing time, that's payday, right? That's celebration day. You work hard and you take care of these sheep, and on uh, sheep shearing time, that's a big deal. People are in a good mood and they're excited. It's a good, it's a good season of life to be in. And, uh, during that time period, uh, David had about 600 men with him. So you figure you got 600 guys hiding out in caves and in the wilderness, and they need things, right? Eventually you do run out of food and you need supplies, and they can't just run to Walmart. They can't order supplies on Amazon and have them shipped out to the middle of the desert. The easiest thing for David and these 600 guys would have been to just take it from these shepherds. You got 600 warriors against some shepherds out shearing sheep. 
It had been easy pickings. That would have been the easiest way to get what they needed, but it's not what they did. They left them alone. They didn't mess with Nabal's shepherds. They didn't take anything from them. In fact, later on in the story, we, we hear that one of the servants actually says, actually, David and his men were kind of like a, a wall of protection for us. They treated us really well. When the story, David hears that it is time to shear the sheep. Big time of celebration, good moods, generosity. That's usually the way it goes. And so David thought, you know what? We were really kind to Nabal and his shepherds. Uh, maybe he'll be kind to us. Maybe he's in a good mood. Maybe he'll be generous, and he'll help us, help us with some supplies. And so we jump in to that thought. Uh, chapter 25, let's start in verse 7. Verse 4, he, he, uh, he hears that it's time to shear the sheep. He sends 10 of his guys uh, to meet Nabal, and he says this in verse, we'll start in verse 6. Peace and prosperity to you, your family, everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time while your shepherds stayed among us near Carmel. We never harmed them. Nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men, they'll tell you this is true. So, would you be kind to us, since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions that you might have on hand with us and with your friend David. So David's men, these ten guys, they go and they give this message to Nabal. Now, watch how Nabal responds in verse 10. His first response is, who is this fellow David? David who? Well, okay, well, maybe he really doesn't know who David is. He knows who David is. David who? The next part of what Nabal says, who does this son of Jesse think he is? Well, how does he know whose kid he is if he doesn't know who David is? He knows who David is. And I was reading through that part of it. I thought, you know, what do we know about Jesse? Jesse also is a sheep herder, right? Nabal is a sheep herder. So we know these guys apparently know each other. Maybe it's like this weird competition uh, between Nabal and Jesse. Who knows what's going on other than the fact that this guy's just rude and crude. Uh, but he, he doesn't, he's not impressed. Oh, David, David who? I don't care who you are. I don't care who your dad is. That's the attitude. He says, there's lots of servants these days who run away from their master. So not only does he know who David is, he knows who Sonny is. He also knows why he is on the run. He knows what's happening in David's life. He says in verse 7, should I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who comes from who knows where. It's a pretty rude response, especially on the heels of the fact that David was, was kind to the shepherds and watched out for them, perhaps. Uh, at least that was the perspective of one of the servants. David's response uh, might be one that you could relate to. David, verse 12, David's young men returned. They told him what Nabal said, and David said, get your swords, get your swords. He's about to take 400 men, 400 armed men, and teach Nabal a lesson. And the scene uh, at this moment is kind of like one of those Wild West scenes, like get the posse together, 
put on your six shooters, we're going to go teach Nabal a lesson. Imagine even in modern days, you know, some gang-related drive-by shooting in a modern city. Get your guns, we're going to go teach our enemies a lesson. It seems perhaps maybe to us now as an overreaction, but I want you to see uh, why it is, what's on David's heart in this moment, why he reacts this way, why he seems so hot. He tells us, uh, he reveals it in verse 21. In verse 21, David says to his men, a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness, and nothing he owned was lost or stolen, but he's repaid me evil for good. No good deed goes unpunished. I mean, why bother doing anything good if people are just going to repay you evil for the good, for the, for the kindness? Uh, they give you no appreciation in, in, in return for the kind things that you do. Why bother? Let's go teach this guy a lesson. Get your swords, and we'll show him. And I wonder if you can relate to that feeling. I wonder if you can relate to that tension. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you didn't uh, go to that extreme and get that violent, but maybe, maybe you felt that way and you posted some clever burn on social media. This will show them. Maybe at some point you're like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this unappreciative jerk uh, really, I'm going to put him in her place, put her in her place. I'm going to give a piece of my mind. Maybe you've done that. And maybe you even knew you shouldn't have. Maybe you knew it was not the right way to respond, but in the heat of the moment, you did something, you said something that you should not have, and then later, after you calm down, you wonder, why did I do that? Why am I so inconsistent in doing what is right? I know better. Why can't I seem to get it right more often? Maybe you felt that tension. It's possible that we may need the same thing that David needed. Jesus. We need, David needed the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's something you need to understand about this time in history, in ancient in ancient history, as we read these stories about David and we see how inconsistent he was in his choices of right and wrong, we have to remember that the Holy Spirit at that time did not live inside of believers in the same way that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside believers today. When David lived, the Holy Spirit would come and empower a person for a particular time, for a particular uh, event, uh, and uh, it wasn't the same type of indwelling that believers, it's not a permanent indwelling that like we experience today when we trust Jesus as our Savior. David did not experience the same kind of everyday help and guidance and conviction and, and spiritual strength that we have access to as believers because the Holy Spirit, if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit indwells you permanently, never leaves you. And He's always there to help you and convict you and, and strengthen you and guide you. And David didn't have access to that. So it, it helps explain David's inconsistency with doing the right thing. 
But what do we do with the inconsistency in our own lives? We're going to finish the story before we answer that question. Here's what happens next. David is riding down the hill to kill Nabal. Thankfully, Abigail stepped in as a mediator into the situation. Go to verse 18. Verse 18 says, Abigail wasted no time. She quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wine skins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of, to- of roasted grain, a hundred clusters of raisins, and 200 fig cakes. And she packed these all up on a donkey, and she rode off to try to meet David before he got uh, to, to their homestead to murder everybody. And she goes to make things right. It's interesting how uh, you see David grabbing a sword, and Abigail took some raisins. I'm really not so sure... Uh, how you're supposed to make peace with raisins and, and fig cakes. I think that would have made me angrier. I think I would have been, I think that I would have been more upset over that. I think a better way would have been, this is me personally. You might be different. You might be like, raisins, yes. For me personally, I think a better approach would have been, listen, David, I know you're upset. I get it. Nabal's a toad. I get why you're angry. Uh, but I brought you like five dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm listening. You got my attention. But Abigail's actions, her words, uh, they helped David snap out of his angry intentions. We see this incredible speech uh, that she starts here in verse uh, 25. And she admits uh, that Nabal is wicked, he's ill-tempered, that he's a fool. Please don't pay him any attention. And she apologizes to David on, uh, on his behalf. And she uh, appeals to him that he would not go through with this plan to, to shed the blood of her husband and ultimately his servants. And uh, she appeals in a way that's, I think, fascinating. She recognizes that He's on the run. She recognizes that he's going to be the next king. She knows what's happening in his life. Look at verse 30. She says, When the Lord has done all that he promised, has made you the leader of Israel, don't let this blemish be a blemish on your record. Then, the con- then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. It's a fascinating argument that she makes. Uh, she appeals as a mediator to David, and it works. And, and her words, her actions with these gifts calms David's anger. And he, he drops it. He lets the matter go. As the story finishes in chapter 25, the next day, Nabal had a stroke. And ten days after the stroke, he died. And as the chapter ends it takes this really weird twist where David marries Abigail and then some other woman that we don't know who she is. I don't even know how to pronounce her name. Like, Where does she come from? How does she fit into this story? And you're like, wow, David, really? You met this girl one time. You had like one awkward conversation with this girl and now you want to marry her and some other random woman that you met. We see this inconsistency in David's life. Now he's, what, like three wives. What are you doing, David? And maybe, maybe you can't relate to the polygamy part of all of that. 
uh, but maybe you can relate to the anger part. Maybe you can relate to uh, just the inconsistency where you know what's right, but you don't do it. You know what you should do, but you didn't. And you wonder sometimes, right, why can't I just have permanent victory over this weakness in my life? Why am I so inconsistent? And it's possible that we simply need the same thing David needed, Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that just sounds like a bumper sticker to you. My daughter has a sticker on her back windshield that says, y'all need Jesus. It's written with sass, right? Y'all need Jesus. Maybe that sounds like that to you, like you need more Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk to you this morning about what that actually means in your everyday life. Jesus, for example, he taught us in the New Testament, he taught us how to deal with the navels of this world. And there's plenty of them out there. Go to Luke chapter 6 with me. In the New Testament, uh, Luke chapter 6, Jesus challenges us on how you and I, as followers of Christ, should deal with the nables in this world. Verse 27, Jesus said, To you who are willing to listen, And I think that's a a great way to start what he's about to tell us because what he's about to tell us is really, really hard and it's going to be super easy to just kind of tune it out because we're going to be like, I don't want to do that. If you're willing to listen, Jesus said, I say love your enemies. And even there, you're like, whoa, all right, I'm out. That's, That's too much. That's too much, Jesus. If you're willing to listen, I tell you, love your enemies. What's that mean? Well, he says, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do you doing good to those who hate us demonstrating kindness to people that are not demonstrating kindness to us that's a hard ask blessing those who curse you by the way in case you didn't know the double barreled bird salute is not a blessing that happened to me this week uh, I was in a parking lot in at, uh, Altoona and uh, pulled out into like the main lane. And, and uh, I guess the guy thought I should have waited. I don't know, but he let me know he wasn't happy. And uh, this, this, the gang sign he flashed me was not a blessing. I didn't, I didn't feel a blessing from it. Pray for those who mistreat you. One of the things about praying for other people, especially people who mistreat us, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to remember that hurting people will often hurt other people. Sometimes we don't even stop to think about that. We're hurt, we're offended, and we don't, we don't, we don't think about praying for that person because there's obviously something going on in that person's life where their heart is hurting or broken or hard and, and something happened in that person's life that's caused them to be like this or, or treat others like this in the moment. 
you know, this challenge that Jesus gave us was, was not to seek revenge, to not s- seek retaliation when we're wrong. It's, he says, be generous without expecting repayment for your generosity. And that golden rule, you've heard of that, do to others as you would like them to do to you. And I want you to listen carefully to the argument that Jesus makes as to the why. So that's the what. But listen to the argument that Jesus makes as to why we should treat others this way, even our enemies, even those who aren't nice to us. He says in verse 32, If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. A valid point. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Why, why should you get credit? Why, why would you think that that somehow makes you special? It's not hard to be nice to people who are nice to you. That's easy. It's hard to be nice to people and to be kind and to show love and grace and to forgive those who wrong us. He doubles down in verse 35. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you'll truly be acting as children of the Most High. Watch this. For He, God, is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So when we treat others this way that Jesus is challenging us to treat others, we're acting like our Father, because that's how, that's how God the Father treats people. That's how Jesus treats people. In fact, the way that Jesus is challenging us to deal with the navels of the world really is a picture of the gospel. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, what did Christ do? Christ died for us. While we were still sinners and enemies of God. What we deserve is eternal separation from God because of our sin. But instead, Jesus, God in the flesh, came and allowed himself to become a a substitute sacrifice for our sin on the cross so that his perfect righteousness could be credited to our spiritually bankrupt account. Jesus did something for us that we could never do for ourselves. He made it possible for us to be made right with God. And the gospel is a picture of what it means to love your enemies. Because Jesus did all of that while we were still sinners. If I'm being honest, and I think we should be honest with one another, I understand the why in this what Jesus said. I get it. I mean, up here, I get it. I understand I'm supposed to love my enemies, and and I I am very thankful for the truth of the gospel. I'm so thankful that, that God has demonstrated love to me when I don't deserve it. But I have to confess that I'm not as consistent in living this out as I want to be. I know what it says. I I've read it a ton of times. I've got a pretty good 
understanding what it means on a practical level. Sometimes I get it right. But I wish I was way more consistent than I am. And maybe, maybe that's true of you. But here's the good news. The good news is that if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, like I have, then you and I have an advantage that David didn't have access to. We have the power of the Holy Spirit every day, all day. He never leaves us. And we see what that means on a practical level in Galatians chapter 5. Would you look at this with me? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, Paul writes, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Now, depending on the version you have in your lap, it might say something a little bit different, wording there. Live by the Spirit, you might have that phrase. If you live by the Spirit, if you let the Holy Spirit guide your lives, here's the result of that. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There's the inconsistency, isn't it? He describes it this way. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Okay, well, so that means... We've got these two desires competing with one another, right? He says these two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your own good intentions. You know what you should do. You've got good intentions to do it. But you've got this conflict. You've got this tension of your sinful nature that's constantly battling. And maybe you're not as consistent in victory over that sinful nature as you would like to be. If you go down to verse 19, he describes some examples of the sinful nature. It's not an exhaustive list, but it gives you a good picture of some of the things that maybe you've had some inconsistency in. And verse 22, he describes some things that the Holy Spirit produces in our lives, like love and joy and peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. That's how we have consistency in following Jesus. When we trust the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. I just want you to know, uh, Paul himself, he also admitted this, this daily tension, this daily struggle that you and I, I'm sure, experience, uh, if we're being honest. If you go to Romans chapter 7, he verbalizes it. He, he describes this, this internal struggle with sin that he was experiencing. Romans seven fourteen, he said, the trouble is not with the law. The law is spiritual. The law is good. The trouble's me. I'm the problem. I'm all too human, slave to sin. I, he says, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know what, that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows I agree the law is good. So it's not like he doesn't know the right thing to do. He gets it. 
But there's this sin nature, he says, living in me. And, and, and sometimes he, he gives into that sin nature. Verse 18, he says, I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. There's the inconsistency that he, it bothers him to see this inconsistency in his life. Talks about this principle in life. He says, when I want to do what's right, I, I have this tendency to do what's wrong. He describes himself in verse 24 this way. He says, what a miserable person I am. Have you ever felt like that? What a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Sounds kind of dark. Sounds kind of depressing. But look at the next verse. Verse 25. Thank God. Here's, here's like the clouds open up and the sun shines through with the answer that we need. Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He talks about how you see how it is in my mind. I want to obey God's law, but because of the sinful nature, I'm, I'm, I've got this tension with sin. But we read on in chapter 8. He continues this, uh, this description of what do I need? I need Jesus. And then we come down here to verse uh, chapter 8, and let's look at verse 5. He says, when you're dominated by the sinful nature, you think about sinful things. But when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you think about things that please God. Letting the sinful nature control your mind, that's just going to lead to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law. It never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature, they can't please God. If you are not controlled by your sinful nature, you're controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, remember, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. Watch verse 11. It's really important. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. If you and I try to live a consistent, Jesus-centered life on our own power, we're going to wind up being just as inconsistent in that as David was. But if we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit every day, all day, asking for his help, asking Him daily to change our hearts, to give us strength, to help us make good choices. If that is our posture day after day after day, then we're going to be able to do the hard things that we see in God's Word, like forgive those who've wronged us, like being hard to offend, like not holding grudges and not repaying evil for evil and loving your enemy. I don't know who you might relate to in the story in chapter 25 today. Maybe, maybe it's you relate to David's anger. Someone's wronged you. Someone has offended you. Someone's taken advantage of your kindness. And you're mad. And you're hurt. And you're angry about that. 
Maybe you can relate to David's inconsistency with right and wrong. It's like you know what you should do, but you don't do that. And that bothers you. Maybe you can relate to Abigail. Maybe, maybe you've been kind of forced to play the role of mediator in your family, or the, the role of mediator among your friends, and like this is no fun. Maybe you can relate to Nabal in that your heart is far from God, and you know it. No matter who you relate to in that story, we all need the same thing. We all need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to change our hearts, to guide our choices, to to convict our hearts of sin, to, to lead us to repent quickly when we do, to give us victory over temptation in the first place, to give us patience with others, to make us hard to offend, to give us the kind of love that will cover a multitude of offenses. To be able to show kindness to people that are not kind to us. We all need that. Power of the Holy Spirit. Because what we're talking about is a major heart change. If I try to do that on my own, it's going to result in the same thing that happened in David's life. Inconsistency. The only way to have victory consistently and do the hard things is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way to have the Holy Spirit living permanently, indwelling and permanently inside of you, is to trust Jesus Christ as your forgiver of sins, as your Savior from hell, the leader of your life. I'm going to leave you with three possible challenges to take away, right? Three things that you could do with what we talked about. Here's the first one. I want to challenge you this week to intentionally do something good for someone. I'm going to pause. Time out. Ready? If in your mind you hear, I'm going to intentionally do something good for someone, I wonder who popped into your mind when I said that. Probably the default of your brain, someone that's nice to you, someone that you like. Someone that you uh, are fond of popped into your brain. I would like to do something nice for. That's not the challenge. You can do that if you want, but that's not the challenge. The challenge is to intentionally do something good for someone that doesn't deserve it. Someone that doesn't even like you. Do something good for someone uh, that has no way of paying you back. Like they don't have, there's just no way. There's no way they, you know, they might, they, they might say thank you, they might not, but they have no way of ever paying you back for the nice thing that you're going to do for them. You want to get super radical? Do that every day this week. What? Too much. Try one and let's see how that goes, Okay. How about this? When you are offended this week, I didn't say if, I said when you are offended this week, when you are in the parking lot at Sam's and someone flips you the bird, when you are offended this week, before you saddle up and head out to retaliate, eat some raisin cookies, 
start there, slow down a minute, and, and just pause and think about what Jesus taught. Hit pause and think about the challenge that Jesus gave us about loving your enemies and not holding a grudge and not retaliating, not paying uh, evil back for evil. Look to Jesus as your example, because that's the example that he set for us in his life on the cross. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you respond with love and grace, kindness, even to those that don't deserve it. Here's the third thing. If there is inconsistency in your life, and there is for all of us to some degree or another, But where you find inconsistency, where you just don't seem to get it right as often as you know you should. Two questions you want to ask yourself. Number one, is the Holy Spirit even living in you? Right? Like if there's just this constant pattern of inconsistency in your life, at least pause. And that verse that we read uh, today said, if the Spirit of God isn't living in you, then you're not even connected to Christ. So at least pause and consider, is it possible that the Holy Spirit's not living in me? Have I not yet trusted Christ as my Savior? Uh, Then deal with that first. If you need any help with that, uh, we have things on our website, the I'm Ready button's there, but you can contact one of our pastors. We'd love to help you walk through really understanding the gospel, really understanding what Jesus did for you on the cross, and what it really means for you to accept that free gift of his grace. We'd love to have that conversation with you. So deal with the yes or no to that question, is the Holy Spirit living in you? And if the answer is no, then deal with that. If the answer is yes, but I still see this inconsistency in my life, in this particular area, then the key, the next step, is just surrender, a daily surrender. Just an honest, brutally honest conversation with God on a daily basis. Lord, I'm not getting this right. And I need your help. I've tried to do it on my own. I clearly can't. I need your help. I need your help today. Then come Tuesday, you do it again. The daily surrender. Those of you who have accepted Christ as your Savior, yes, that was a one-time, incredible, supernatural, miracle event where the Spirit of God, through faith in Christ, took your dead soul and breathed life into it. He gave you eternal life, gave you the Holy Spirit, and that's permanent. What's not permanent is your daily decision to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ every day for the power to live life, to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to give you what you need. That's a daily decision of surrender that we have to make every single day until we die. Sense?